and just removing us. But Lord, your church around the world, that goes on. People that live in fear and they're being persecuted. Uh, we think about our Afghan brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and Lord, we want to pray for them. We want to pray for that nation, that country. God, that you would that you would put your spiritual healing on them. And that, Lord, there would be a repentance and a turning to you. And that people would come to faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, we don't pray enough for that, probably. But we know, Lord, that you do things that for us look impossible. Lord, you do those things. You save people. You're in the business of saving souls. And so I pray that we would be faithful to pray for the opportunities you give us. And so I want to pray for the Afghan church. Lord, I want to pray for our our military there that's in Afghanistan. God, for protection for those men and women. We thank you for their service. God, we just were thinking of them uh, this morning. Lord, I want to pray for our president, for our vice president, for our leadership. God, I pray you would do a work in their heart and in their life. Uh, We know, Lord, that, that you put rulers on thrones and you take them off. And we're not given all the reasons. We don't have all those. So we just have to trust you, Lord. And so I just pray this morning for our leadership that you give them wisdom. Um, Lord, this morning I want to pray for Dr. Hughley as he speaks to us. And Lord, I want to thank you for him. Lord, just all the years of, of faithfulness to you and, and so many people that have been impacted, that, Lord, through his ministry and how you've used him. And I've been one of those, and so I want to thank you so much for Dr. Hughley. And I pray that your spirit would work through him today as he opens your word. And God, I pray that everything that's done this morning would, would bring glory to you. May your name be praised. Thank you for our time together. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. I have seen the pace of your life. The stress. The anxiety. The constant movement. Rushing from one place to the next. Chasing after your desires or running from your fears. I see how you struggle, striving to meet your needs all on your own. I see the burdens placed upon you and the burdens you place upon yourself. In the midst of this chaos and hurry, calling out to you to slow down. Be still and know that I am God. It is I who set the earth in motion. It is I who sustains you, protects you, and provides for your needs. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Trust in me with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. 
do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid, for I will never leave you. Let your soul find rest in me, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. For neither death nor life, the present nor the future, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from my love. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. This last week, has been a very difficult week for all of us. <clears throat> there are lots of things going on in the world. We have a lot of concerns about loved ones that are sick, loved ones here in this congregation. It just seems like the world is moving at such a fast pace. And as Thad said, we feel like God is working. And he's working his plan. And we know what the outcome of that plan is. And so we're so thankful that we serve a God who we know is in control of all things. And we've come to worship him this morning because he is a God that is in control. There's a verse or a little passage of scripture I like to read. It's one of my favorites. It's in Colossians. It says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which were above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of the, of the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Isn't that a great promise? When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also, then you also will appear with him in glory. What a great promise that we have. And we just want to forget about all that. As the video says, slow down. And let's just worship the Lord together. We have come into this house.
ask you to all stand. And let's just lift up the name of Jesus. Lift high the name of Jesus. Let's all stand, maybe. And that's what I want us to do right now. There's a song that we did not long ago. It's forever Jesus. And forever we'll be singing his praises. And let's sing that right now. Strength and hope through many fears and 
asked Luke earlier to raise the lectern for me, and uh, he really did. He raised it. <laughs> I'm sort of like Thad. I'm struggling to look over it. I'm honored this morning to have the privilege of speaking. The elders assigned the topic to me, so if the sermon is a flop, you know who to blame. I was asked this morning, was there anything I can do for you, Dr. Hughley? I said, yes. Anything you need? I said, yes. I need a fresh infusion of the Holy Ghost. I said that to two or three people. When we were praying the other night without shame, I said to my elder brethren, when I stand up to preach the word on Sunday, I want to be God-possessed. And that's my prayer in ministry to you today. Yes, I was asked to speak on a particular theme, but it was left up to me to develop the message as I saw fit. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. I appreciate Thad reading the passage this morning, and I'll draw your attention especially to verse 3 as we unfold what it has to say to us this morning. Let's pray. God of heaven and earth, Lord of all the nations, sovereign over all, how thankful we are that we belong to you. How grateful we are for your word. How grateful we are that we can come to you in prayer and we learn from the Holy Scriptures that you listen to the prayers of your people, the righteous ones. And we have that righteousness through the mercy of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, Son of Man and Son of God and coming King. In the words of the song we just heard, what a Savior you are. We seek to honor you, Father, in our gathering this morning have your will and way in our hearts and be glorified in our midst it is for your sake and glory we pray with thanksgiving amen before the service i was greeting my brother mickey we go back a long time and he's one of my many little brothers whom i love and for whom i pray he held up the bulletin to me or the uh, sermonic uh, uh, handout implying that there seemed to be an awful lot of blanks in there to fill and I looked at him kindly and I said well Mickey we have a we have a plan for the slow thought and we have a plan for those in overdrive <laughs> so stay with me today it'll all be flashed on the screen at the appropriate time and if you want to jot down, well and good. But if not, you will see it as we move through the message. Some years ago, a Birmingham area church scheduled a business meeting. The agenda for the gathering was going to be the, uh, the operation of their church-related school. 
Well, the meeting got underway at a particular time. And before long, the temperature in the room began to rise. Hot words were spoken. Civility was abandoned. And things got so out of hand that the police had to be called to settle order in a church meeting. That was a church that wasn't together. My assignment is to speak to you this morning on separate and together, or separate are together. And as I pondered this topic, a scripture passage came to mind. And I began to study that and pray over that passage. And eventually, the topic seemed to suggest itself to me. I want to speak to you this morning on what can be called the divine togetherness church. It's divine because it's sanctioned and given reference in the scripture. It is a God thing. It is a Christ thing. It's a togetherness church because it fulfills what the scripture says about such a church. And it's a church because it's among the called out ones of the king, the called out. Now, separate or together, all departures from a church aren't bad. We've had, in the last year and a half, a COVID outbreak, a plague like the plagues of the Old Testament. And many have been affected. And it has affected church attendance nationwide. And we can understand why some people haven't felt at liberty to be with a group of people for fear of spreading or are, are, are coming down with a sickness. And our hearts go out just now to the many of our church who've been affected by the COVID outbreak. No, all church departures aren't bad. Sometimes people move. Sometimes they're given new job assignments. And any number of things could contribute to a church departure. But some church departures become permanent. And it is true from the scripture that the believer ought to be faithful in church attendance. The Bible is clear in Hebrews 10, 25. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. It is biblical, biblical to be regular and faithful in church attendance not out of a spirit of legalism, but out of a spirit of obedience to the word of God. Now, my message can be summarized in this manner. A church achieves unity or oneness by the spirit. And that's the central theme of what I'm attempting to say this morning, that we need the work of the Holy Spirit to help us in our oneness and in our togetherness. As I pondered 
our message this morning, it seemed to fall into a trinity of thought, a triad of thought, if you please. We'll notice, first of all, in our text, the procedure it needs. And that's expressed in the words, being diligent. In the King James, it says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Secondly, the profile it shows. In a church that is a church of unity, it has the unity of the Spirit that tells us that the Spirit of God is having liberty to work in the hearts of the congregation, the fellowship of believers. And thirdly, the peace it has is called in our text the bond of peace. Now let's look at it and follow the outline. First of all, the procedure it needs, being diligent. I want us to think through that phrase, being diligent. The original says and means making haste and being diligent. Let's see what that looks like. Let's note some selected features in the scripture that amplify and help us to understand what is in mind, the mind of the writer. I submit to you that earnest prayer is a vital part of being diligent in a church and its ministry. In Acts chapter 4, 31, when the early Christians were facing all of the opposition from the political arena and from the religious crowd, they met together and prayed and reminded the Lord of all that was going on. And they said, the scripture says, and Luke records, and when they had prayed, the place was shaken, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. That's what the church needs. Not only earnest prayer, but strong evangelism and discipleship. In keeping with Mark chapter 16, verse 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Aren't you glad that our church is a mission-minded church, that we are in fellowship with a great number of people in many countries and among many tribes of the earth preaching the gospel and seeing souls come to Christ and the scripture speaks of that relationship between the missionary and the church as a fellowship. Paul expressed it this way in Philippians 1. I thank God for your fellowship, your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Not only that, mended relationships. Yes. Sometimes churches aren't together as they need to be. That's why Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, that the relationships of the people in Corinth needed to be mended. Some were claiming to be followers of Peter, some claiming to be followers of Paul, and others. Mended relationships and power. 
power. The early church had power. And the church today can have power. And the individual believer can have power. That's why we read in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 and following, be strong in the Lord. Strong in the Lord. For we wrestle not against. We wrestle against principalities and powers. The whole of the demonic world is against what the church is doing. And that's why young people and older people and middle people, all of us need the power of God in living the Christian life and being a part of the divine togetherness church. There's also encouragement in crises. In Ephesians 4, 36, one of my favorite biblical characters is introduced. His real name was Joseph the Levite, but he was given a nickname, Barnabas. That wasn't his real name. That was his nickname. And what does it mean? Son of encouragement. He had an ability to come alongside and help and encourage believers. And we need that from time to time. I've been encouraged not a little by many friends and a lovely lady who's in the congregation this morning named Julie and many others. Encouragement for difficult and crises time. And comforting the sorrow and rejoicing with the glad. We read of that in Romans chapter 12 verse 15. Yes, sorrowing. Yes. Gladness. Rejoice. Your kid gets a good grade in school. Rejoice with that kid and pump him up. Your kid's learning to drive well. Rejoice with them and pump them up and help them along the way. I have a warm-hearted memory I'm going to share with you. I've got a lot of warm-hearted memories. Do you have some? A few years ago, I was experiencing some internal pains that I didn't understand. I wondered, what in the world is happening to me? And at the time, I had a part-time job in a clothing store, and the pains were getting insistent and severe. And I didn't know what was happening. And I was becoming alarmed, and I, when I got home, I said, Honey, I, I need to go to the emergency room. Something's wrong with me. Well, sure enough, we made off to uh, Baptist Medical Center and went in the emergency room, and there we were. Eventually, I was examined by some doctors, and one of them was going to be my attending physician. And after examining me and looking me over, he gave me one of those forms that in effect says that he could cut on you like he wanted to. He was going to be, <laughs> he was going to have to do some exploratory surgery. And y'all, that means a very long slice right down the middle. And I'll carry the signs of that eternally unless my glorified body covers it all. I'm not sure. I'll let you know in heaven how it turned out. 
All right. But there I am, and I wasn't feeling good. And yes, I was on the verge of weeping. I don't weep much, but I have cried a few times, especially when my dad put his big hand to my posterior. But as an adult, I've cried a few times. And that day I was on the verge of tears. And while I was waiting to be taken out, in walked two friends. And I'll never forget that visit. It was Pastor Thad and Brother Bill White. I was struck with the fact that they came to the hospital so quickly. And they came to comfort me and to pray for me and encourage me. Yes, I will. I was so grateful and thankful. That captures the spirit of what this verse says about being diligent. Notice that the original conveys the idea that, uh, you know, there's, uh, there's, uh, there's an urgency to being diligent. There's a time factor in being diligent. And so that's one of my warm-hearted memories. That's the character we need, but then we face a challenge when we're trying to be diligent. What is that like? Well, I submit to you that one of those things is maintaining sound teaching in the church. We ought to know what the Sunday school teachers believe. We ought to know what the youth leaders believe. We ought to know what all of the staff believes. And what we believe when we're invited to become a part of the church, maintaining sound teaching. And we're challenged when we're trying to be diligent in anxiety. Am I the only one that's ever been anxious? I don't think so. I've been around the block a few times, and I've been anxious, and I've met anxious people and sought to minister to them. When the scripture says in Philippians chapter 4 verse 6, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. Yes, we worry over health. We worry over what's going to happen in reference to the COVID plague. We worry sometimes over money. We worry about our children and our grandchildren. But we need to cast those burdens on the Lord and be sustained. That's part of being diligent in the body of Christ. And yes, sometimes rebuking the wayward. Because sometimes those among us need an encouraging and even a confronting word. Rebuking the wayward. Paul said, those that continue in sin, rebuke. We want to encourage one another that we will, in fact, be diligent and rebuke the wayward when it's necessary. There's also the issue of, of uh, selecting, choosing, voting on godly leaders, and very soon we'll be electing some elders in our church, some deacons in our church, and we do well to review what the scripture says about church leadership. 
Being diligent involves, among other things, selecting godly, able leaders and also inspiring praise and worship. Recently, I read 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verses 1 through 29. It is a great text, and it is full of praise and worship. David appointed Asaph, one of his great song leaders, and co-directors to be a participant in leading that praise and that worship. And to honor leadership, lift up those who serve us like our pastors and our staff people. Honor them, encourage them, and care for the widows. Care for them. We've got widowers and widows in our congregation. And the scripture is very clear that we need to extend caring spirits and help and work and repairs when they're needed. Ladies, you don't want me to come to your house I, I, to fix something. I'm, I'm like that sign on John's plumbing. It says, we repaired the things your husband fixed. You don't need me, but we have able people in our congregation who are able to take care of things and training our youth, being diligent to train them and avoiding the sins of the age. We're told in James 1.12, keep yourself unspotted from the things of the world. We've got several things in circulation today that are particular are a particular challenge. I've listed some. One is the so-called Equality Act. What's that? Perhaps you know already. But the Equality Act came out of the office of the president. It's been passed by the House of Representatives. It is now in the Senate. And if the Equality Act is passed, it's going to define who goes in the restrooms of our schools in public arenas. It's going to rethink the whole way we view people basically that are involved in unbiblical sexual activity. I hope and pray that it will fail and won't pass. There's also CRT. Have you heard of that? Critical race theory. And it means that our children from the earliest years in school on, if this continues, they will be taught that the majority race in our country is the primary reason why we're having so many problems in our country. And little kids are made to feel guilty because of their color. I submit to you that critical race theory is creating more problems than it's trying to solve. And there's a whole group of angry moms in the country that are confronting school boards and teachers. And one thing you want to remember 
There's a sign in our kitchen. It says, thou shalt not try me, mom, 24-7. You don't try a bunch of moms that have righteousness and good principles and good behavior in mind. And they're confronting these school boards and teachers that are teaching this nonsense. And unbiblical sexuality trends in the country. There's a whole long list of letters that describe those people. And I can't remember all of them while I'm standing here this morning. And I want to tell you something. If you disagree, you're guilty to them of hate speech. Hate speech without any civil discourse, whatever. And I want, I want the whole world to know, listen, I love you, my friends. God so loved the world, and I love you. I may not agree with your behavior, but I love you. Christ died for you, and I want people to know that. And, of course, there's the woke age. New set of terms. And they're behind redefining America. They want to go back and change our history. They've torn down monuments already. And I can understand the unsettled spirit of some in wanting to tear down some monuments of the past. But this crowd wants to introduce socialism, American communism, if you please. And I wish they would study what's happening in Cuba. The people are trying to get out of Cuba, trying to get out of Venezuela trying to get out of North Korea and out of other nations that have come under the influence of communism. I was impressed by what Jerry Prevo wrote in Decision Magazine. A recent article, a recent issue, carried articles by many uh, presidents of Christian schools, colleges, and universities. Jerry Prevo is the president of Liberty University. He wrote, we must prepare now so that when the inevitable time comes, when the government forces religious institutions to adopt worldly standards, we'll be ready to stand for truth. Indeed, we want to be. Thank you, Jerry and all who stand with him. And may God's mercies rest upon the institutions, the schools, the churches, the Christian ministries, the mission agencies, and so on. May God mercifully attend to their needs. There's a second thing that's in this passage of Scripture. We've looked at its procedure Let's look at the profile it shows called the unity of the Spirit. John MacArthur simply says, the Spirit bestowed oneness of all true believers. I think it will be helpful at this point for us to engage in a mini-review of some of the special and critical ministries of the Holy Spirit. For example... The conversion work of the Spirit. 
John 3, 5 says we are what? Born of the Spirit. Jesus said to Nicodemus, except a man be born of the Spirit. And so conversion is a work of the Spirit coming in and cleansing the heart and bringing that person to newness of life in Christ Jesus. The believer is indwelt by the Spirit. We do well to remember that. Sometimes when our tempers are on edge, our young people, when you're out on a date, remember, if you're a Christian, you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and He knows what's going on, and nothing can be hidden from Him. We also are baptized by the Spirit. Our Pentecostal friends bless them. And I have many of them that know and love the Lord, and I'm thankful for them. But they're a little bit confused on this issue. They think of it as a so-called second work of grace. Some even believe that you're so baptized in the Spirit that your sin nature is no longer operational. I got news for them. That is so wrong. I've been saved a long time. And my sin nature's been in high gear ever since. Absolutely. Absolutely. He seals us by his spirit. I love that passage in Ephesians 4, verse 30. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed. The word picture that comes to mind is of the Roman Caesars as they sent messages written on scrolls. And when the attendant had finished the scroll and rolled it up, it was handed to the Caesar with hot wax poured on the scroll. And the Caesar's ring went down with his ring's imprimatur. That message was sealed until it reached the intended recipient. And the Holy Spirit has sealed us till the day of redemption. When is that? When we're taken up to glory with the Lord. Thanks be to God. And there's forbearance that moves us into the new life we have in Christ. What special ministry does the Spirit do in the believer? I am so thankful that among other things, He guides us. When he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. I know of a minister in another state who doesn't study to give his sermons. He just shows up and speaks what's on his mind. God have mercy on people who are under such teaching. God, the Holy Spirit, does not guide us in that fashion. Then there's fruitfulness. Don't you like that one? The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, meekness, long-suffering, gentleness, and on it goes. The Spirit of God works in the believer to help, and he gives power. For Jesus said, when he is come, you shall receive power. And one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is to give us power. 
I was asked this morning, Dr. Hughley, anything you need. And I mentioned it earlier, but I say it again. I need a fresh infusion of the Holy Spirit. And when the Bible tells us to be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, it literally is saying, make that your lifestyle. Be filled, refill, refill, coming under the control of the Spirit, day by day, moment by moment, event by event, trial and blessing. Be filled with the Spirit. My, how that would help unity among God's people. Power and unity. David said that unity was what? It was good and pleasant for brethren to dwell together in unity. Paul urged in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, he urged the people to avoid division. An avoidance of division. Work very hard to keep it together. And Luke records in Acts chapter 2 instances of how the early church was together. It was a divine togetherness church as an example for us. And I love this one. I want to say it's very precious to me. John said that unity was what? An answer to Christ's prayer. He prayed that they may, that they will be one as we are. And when we experience unity in the body of Jesus, it's an answer to the prayer of the Savior himself. After World War II, a religious movement arose called the ecumenical movement. It was an attempt on the part of several large church bodies in America and in the world to come together but there were several church groups that would not join in with the ecumenical movement. It was an attempt to be one without the essentials of unity. They had organizational unity, but they didn't have the unity of the Spirit, sadly. And the ecumenical movement has lost a lot of its thunder because it's an attempt to have organizational unity and there's not unity that comes by the Spirit. Even our Catholic friends, under some of their leaders, they have appealed to the separated brethren. That's who Protestants are. We're the separated brethren. To come home. After all, Jesus prayed that we might be one, didn't he? Of course he did. But I can never bring myself to pray to Mary, good a woman as she was, and to pray to saints because the Bible says there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. 
He is our mediator. Well, let's look at how unity might be declared. I like what Irvin Lutzer said in one of his books. God loves diversity, especially when it is brought together in a mosaic of unity in Christ. Thanks be to God. By the way, Dr. Lutzer recently uh, uh, became uh, Pastor Emeritus of Moody Church, and I assume they're looking for another, another pastor. By the way, I want to commend a book that he wrote, and I've been greatly blessed and challenged one of his recent books, We Will Not Be Silenced. He's speaking in behalf of the church. We are not going to kowtow to the trends of the age. Listen, the church has survived in every age, often in societies that were very much against the church. It survived. I've been privileged to be in several of the once communist-dominated countries of Eastern Europe and in Russia itself. And I met some precious Christians that survived under communism flow when many were killed for the faith, put in prison. One of my hosts was a precious Russian pastor who'd been put in jail twice because he was serving the Lord and ministering. It was a delight to be in his home, a little modest home, and have a meal with him. Well, spirit control, it's seen also in brotherly love. Wow. Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have what? What? Love for one. Say it like you mean it. What? Absolutely. Love for one another. And it's urged by Christ. This was his urgency. This is my commandment that you love. And by this shall all men know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. All of that contributes to unity in the body of Christ. Sadly, the Ephesian church, a few years after they received Paul's letter, they are mentioned in the book of Revelation. And at this time, although they had orthodoxy, they were involved in spiritual slippage. He had to correct them. You have left your first love. And that, that, it's a kind of an atmosphere where unity can't survive. Christ censored them. Now I want to tell you something. I've been an elder in our church over the years, a number of years. And I want to say to the glory of God, I've heard differences from time to time, but I've never seen disunity. It's been present in the elder meetings, and I've been in many of them now over the years, and we thank God for that. The testimony of a family, what's it like? Unity. 
And when division comes in, unity goes out the door. We need unity in our families. I remember when I was pastoring a church in Alaska. I was much younger then. It was my first church. And I had two older members that came to be at odds with one another. One of them was a businessman, and one of them was one of the older missionaries. Missionaries have differences, y'all. Did you realize that? I've seen some pretty hot differences between missionaries in my years on the field, and I'm sure the missionaries present here today could say the same thing. But I felt led to get those brothers together in the presence of witnesses to try to iron out their difference. And you know what? I failed. I didn't get them together. In time, the Lord did what I was unable to encourage to happen on that particular day. But I left that meeting very discouraged because the men that I loved so much were at odds with one another. The Bible tells us to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit and keep the divine togetherness church on its way and on its going. And Paul's aim was that there would be no divisions in the body. Thanks be to God for the unity of the Spirit. I must hasten on now. Let's look not only at the procedure it needs, not only at the profile it shows, but the power it has. And that phrase is a phrase of great strength. The power explained in the original, that which holds things together. Have any of you seen the glue ad they show a man dressed, I'm sure it's a man or maybe a woman, dressed up in a humongous gorilla suit. And the whole point of the ad is that that glue is like gorilla strength. It holds together. And I like to think of unity like this. Unity of the spirit is the gorilla glue of the church. Are we at odds with someone? Sadly, there was a broken bond in the early church, Paul and Barnabas. And Luke, being honest and recorded what happened, having recorded what happened in the book of Acts, he explains in chapter 15 that there was a broken relationship, and the word in the original is very strong, paroxysmos. It's a powerful breaking apart. And Paul and Barnabas had that. Fortunately, later Paul was able to say that Mark is profitable for the ministry. The issue at hand was young Mark, who had been a dropout in an early missions trip. And uh, Paul didn't want to take a risk, but Barnabas was the encourager. And he wants to push people forward, give them another chance. And they were at odds. Thankfully, it eventually was solved. Are we at odds with someone today in our immediate 
our extended family. Are we at odds with someone in the church from time to time? It's wrong. We should do as Psalm 34, 14 tells us. Seek peace and pursue it. The Bible is clear. It is clear from 1 Thessalonians 5.13. Live in peace with one another. That works for all kinds of relationships. And as Paul wrote, if it be possible, live peaceably with all people. Sometimes someone else may not want to live in peace with us. And that's sad, but that's the thing that happens on some occasions. We should do things to build up one another. David Jeremiah said this in one of his books, and I didn't see it in time to get it in my notes, but it's rich. Listen to it. We experience the peace of God as the Spirit of God manifests the life of Christ in and through us. Let me say it again. We experience the peace of God as the Spirit of God manifests the life of Christ in us. A church achieves unity by the Spirit. The Bible tells us and it means harmonious relationships. Thanks be to God. And he tells us in the word to pursue things that make for peace and the building up of one another. A few final words today. What a day it is and what challenges we face. In my preparation, I ran across the writings of a lady named Nadia Boltz-Weber. Nadia Boltz-Weber started a church in Colorado, and people were invited of all sexual orientations to come and be a part of that church. She herself left her husband took up with another man to have, quote, a more meaningful relationship. She founded that church. That woman influenced a young lady that grew up in this city in a godly home and from a godly church. And she influenced the young lady who ultimately came to have some four million followers on her, her following her teaching and leading. And the young lady said, having grown up in an evangelical church with godly parents, she said that Nadia Boltz Weber's book called Shameless, meaning regardless of your sexual orientation and practice, you don't have to have shame anymore. And the precious young lady was led astray and influencing over four million people.
people. She turned away from the faith of the parents. Some of these people are called progressive Christians, and they're being led astray by the devil. It's a great day to bring the lost to Christ, therefore being justified by faith. We have peace with God. It's a great day to strengthen the saved. And it's needful because Paul says, uh, Peter said, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That means regardless of your level of spiritual development, there's still more growth. And, uh, you know, I, I passed 80 a good while ago, but I'm told in the scripture to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ, and I want to grow by his grace. Amen? Absolutely, we want to grow. Seek the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. To crucify the flesh, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In Franklin Graham's article in the recent issue of Decision, Franklin said this, In facing the evils of today, for the sake of his great name, I will stand strong by his grace for my children and my grandchildren. There's too much at stake. Yes, by the grace of God, we can be the divine togetherness church. We achieve our unity by the work, influence, and power of the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, by your Spirit, accomplish your purposes in our congregation this day. We pray, Father, that you'll be glorified in our hearts, in our homes, in our church, in our communities. We say, pray for the sake and glory of our dear Savior. Amen.
You guys do that again? Man, that was awesome. Amen. 39 years ago, the Lord led me to Southeastern Bible College. I made that decision in the summer of 1982. I showed up on the campus. Guess who I had for public speaking? (laughs) Dr. Hughlin. And um, I had acts with Dr. Hughlin. And uh, our speaker next week was on campus as well, George Morange. And uh, never in a million years did I think I would be able to work alongside of these guys for the furtherance of the gospel. But I'm thankful. Um, thank you, Dr. Hughlin. We appreciate your faithfulness. The Cajun Steamer is on for next week. That's his new name. I gave it to him. So... Um, we're looking forward to what the Lord has uh, to share through George. I, I trust you guys have enjoyed this series. I think it's been a lot of helpful things to think through in the times that we're going through as a just as a Christian um, brother or sister. So thank you again, Dr. Hewitt. I wanted to make mention this morning of a couple of things coming up. Uh, the tabernacle uh, will be set up from September the 9th through the 19th. And so there's sign-up sheets out in the foyer, and um, I think Roxanne will be out there right after we dismiss this morning, and you can sign up for a time to to walk through the tabernacle. It's a great time for you to kind of think through um, just uh, who the Lord was to Israel. And um, the, the emphasis that, as I think through the tabernacle, I think of the presence of the Lord, and, and I think of the, the awesome you know, opportunity we have because of our high priest, Jesus Christ, to enter into the presence of the Lord. And uh, to do that, uh, knowing his grace and his strength uh, for us in in all our times of need. So sign up uh, for that. And Roxanne, we appreciate you putting that together. I also wanted to make mention of small groups this fall. And uh, this, let's see. Next Sunday will be the last Sunday to sign up for that. So make sure you sign up for small groups. Uh, We're doing a series through this book, God Works All Things Together for Your Good. So I trust that you'll pray through that and think about signing up. We'll have small groups in the homes on uh, Sunday night and Tuesday night. And then there'll also be a small group here at church on Sunday night. So you pray about what the Lord might want you to do in that. All right, let's stand. Let's close in a word of prayer. Lord, you are holy, holy, holy. As your word tells us, and we're thankful, Lord, that we're able to boldly approach the throne of grace this morning, all because of Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, that you would just do your work in us through the Spirit as we've listened today um, to your word being taught, being preached. I pray, Lord, that we would consider the things that were given to us And that we would endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. May you be glorified in our lives today. And all this we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. You're dismissed.